Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Can religious freedom coexist with gay rights and gay marriage? A recent report from the United States Commission on Civil Rights tackles that problem, and uh, the report is entitled Peaceful Coexistence, Reconciling Non-Discrimination Principles with Civil Liberties, and in particular, Religious Freedom. And for many of us, uh, we feel that the Commission did not reconcile them at all, but simply abandoned the First Amendment commitment to religious freedom. Our guest today is law professor Bruce Cameron, uh, here to discuss the uh, implications of this report. Bruce, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's good to be with you again, Alan. And uh, pleasure is mine as always. So what do you make of this report? this report is frightening. Uh, it, it, is, uh, it shows what I consider to be uh, true hostility toward religion. And, it, and the great irony is that the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, which is supposed to be you know, defending religious freedom, is now uh, throwing under the bus our first freedom, which is religious freedom. I mean, religious freedom has uh, been at the center of the concern of Americans since the founding of our country. And that's why many people call it the first freedom. But now these emerging and controversial rights, uh, such as uh, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, and what have you, are now lifted above religious freedom in, in this report. You know, as, as you, quite disturbing. you use the expression throwing under the bus. Um, some years back, I started talking about religious freedom being sent to the back of the bus with an obvious <laughs> reference to, uh, you know, the whole civil rights era and blacks being made to sit in the back of the bus. But as things went from bad to worse, I would say, no, we're not even allowed on the bus. Now religious freedom is being dragged behind the bus. <laughs> I agree. The bus is rolling over it. <laughs> so, okay, but, you know, let's flesh this out. In what way does the report uh, really denigrate religious freedom? Well, the, the report suggests that religious beliefs are a cover for bigotry. And, and this, of course, is an outrage in my mind. Since when do you say that religious beliefs are bigotry? Well, um, unfortunately, there are a large number of people who are saying this. And, and the irony is that, for example, uh, one of the concerns of the uh, U.S. Civil Rights Commission is uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. For years, Congress has tried to amend Title VII to include sexual orientation as a protected category. It has lost for years, even when uh, President Obama had both chambers of Congress in the hands of the Democrats. It's still lost. And so it's only recently that the uh, equal, uh, U.S. Equal Opportunity Commission 
has in a decision said that, well, sexual orientation is protected by Title VII. But that's simply uh, a decision by the administrative agency. The Seventh Circuit, just uh, about a week ago, came out with an opinion which made it very clear that Title VII does not cover sexual orientation. So the, the irony here is that sexual orientation is uh, an issue that is currently a disputed right when it comes to Title VII. Yet the long-established right of religious freedom is made a secondary to sexual orientation in this report. And it's, it's very unfortunate. Well, when you say that the report treats religious beliefs as bigotry, we're specifically talking about what we would refer to as biblical teachings on human sexuality, aren't we? Yes. That human sexuality is properly expressed between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. That's correct. Now, when I state it that way, I hope that I have not said anything of a bigoted nature about the rights or status of uh, the those in same-sex relationships. I've simply stated the Bible teaching. Oh, but you are wrong, Alice. You have made a very bigoted statement because you have said there's only one approved uh, form of marriage, and that is between a man and a woman. And thus you are a bigot, just as if you were to say there is one race that is the approved race, and it is whatever your race is. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that there is only one form of marriage that the state approves. I'm simply reporting what the Bible teaches. Uh, well, you know, of course, that I am, I am arguing from the other side. That is what they would say about your situation. Right. Of course, not only does the Bible say this, but the rule of the obvious says this. Uh, I, one of the, so, go ahead. All right, so I want to give an invitation to our listeners, and I don't do this very often, so I hope you'll take this seriously. I'm going to give you my email address, and I want to hear from you whether you feel that you are a bigot because of your views on marriage or whether you believe you're not a bigot. Um, and you know what? I tell you what, instead of doing this by email, I'm going to post something on my Facebook page. So you can friend Alan Reinock on Facebook, and you can, you know, answer my poll. Are you a bigot or not a bigot because of your religious views? How do you feel about it? Alan, you need to ask the people who disagree with you whether or not they think you're a bigot. I don't think anybody thinks they're a bigot. <laughs> Some of the biggest bigots around, I think, think that they are completely uh, innocent of that charge. <laughs> well, you know, I have a lot of liberal, secular attorney folks on my Facebook page, too. I, I know so you do. I'll have to figure this I out. I know you do. And we'll be interested to see, you know, how they respond. <laughs> They probably think that some of us are bigots. That's right. But they know me, so they know that I'm not. Well, now, now Alan, here, here, here's the sad thing about this, and, and, and it is the thing that, that breaks my heart about this. There are people who will say that you're a bigot even though you're a nice person. That is, you have bigoted ideas. <laughs> now, you know, this, of course, is what the Bible talks about. The Bible says, you know, live so that that no one can find fault with you, 
so that when they are attacking you, there'll be no factual basis for it. I mean, the Bible predicts this very thing, that, that Christians who care about God, who want to follow His will, uh, are going to be charged with horrible things. And so God says, do your best not to give them any real ammunition for this. Make them make it up, you know, essentially. Right. So back to the Civil Rights Commission. Does this uh, commission have any clout? Does this report uh, have any significance? Well, yes and no. Does it have any actual authority? The, the answer is, is no. It's supposed to be the federal watchdog for, for civil rights, and, and it makes recommendations, and this is a recommendation. But, for example, the transmittal letter for this report is to President Barack Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, and, and the suggestion is, this is what our views are, and therefore we'd like to have you transfer some of our views into legislation. I mean, that's, that's the implicit thing. We, we, the federal watchdogs, are finding this, and uh, therefore we want this to, uh, to find its way into uh, litigation. That's the good news. I mean, the good news is that it doesn't have, it's not like a court where it can enforce decrees. It's simply making recommendations. So uh, I'm actually on the state advisory committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. And so I'm trying to get our (laughs) state committee to um, recommend to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission that it's got some serious deficiencies in this report. So they're all recommendations. So let me ask you a question. Does every state have a committee or, as you said, commission that uh, subordinate to the U.S. commission? That's correct. Every state has an advisory committee. And this is the way things are supposed to happen. People at the local level look at what are civil rights concerns and issues. And people on those committees then study and put together a recommendation, which they send to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. And so that's how the Civil Rights Commission is supposed to then react to, you know, what's coming from, from the uh, committees. And so that, that is the way it, it operates. Is there some way for our listeners to find out who the commissioners are, who the advisory committee is in their own state, and write to them? Absolutely. This is public record. You just go to the uh, website of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, and you can find the various states and the committees. In fact, more than that, Alan, the committee meetings are public. So, for example, when I'm on a teleconference, as I was a week ago, pitching my view, and in fact, the next meeting that we have, I'm going to be again pitching my view as arguing the project I suggest is a project they should adopt. These calls are open to the public. You can call in on the conference line, and you can listen to what's said. Very interesting. Well, okay, yeah, I see a um, on the commission website, there is a link for advisory committees. So I think that's a good thing for listeners to do. Look up the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and let your views be known, but do it in a winning way, in a winsome way, not in an angry way. Very important not to lose your Christian experience over something like this. Well, this is what Paul is saying. You know, don't give them reason to say bad things about you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being uh, honest and straightforward.
forward, but everyone knows the difference between being polite and being impolite. And so the idea is to be polite. After all, you're trying to convince them of your way. And, you know, your listeners should ask themselves, how many times have they been convinced when someone came at them with a hammer? That generally doesn't convince people. Uh, it only um, antagonizes people. Well, you know, the argument that we're having to resort to in our legislative battles here in California is to point out all the good work, the community service, and the economic benefit that uh, religious institutions bring to the community. And then if you attack them and undermine them, you're just, you know, hurting yourself. We have to appeal to self-interest in some sense. That's right. So that would be the maybe the tactic to take. Uh, some of you who are good on reading up, you'll want to read this report from the U.S. Commission. Uh, it's really, as you said at the outset, Bruce, it's really quite frightening right. to read how somehow sexual freedom is more important than religious freedom. But that's really the bottom line, isn't it? It is. It was issued last month, if your listeners are looking for it. Okay. Well, our guest today, Regent University Law Professor Bruce Cameron. Our topic, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission's report, uh, so-called peaceful coexistence. Bruce, always a pleasure to have you on Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. Good to be here. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination, especially in employment. So check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring. You can find them on the web at religiousliberty.info, religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.